0: and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. On June 24, 2022, the United States Supreme Court handed down its decision in the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Now, as everyone in America must know by now, the court overturned its two prior decisions, Roe v. Wade from 1973, and Planned Parenthood v. Casey from 1992. The effect of this was not, as the left claims, to outlaw abortion. Instead, the Dobbs decision said that abortion is not a right that is explicitly or implicitly guaranteed by the Constitution. The court said that it's up to the legislative branch of government, principally at the state level, to pass laws either restricting or guaranteeing abortions. So the courts will not rule on the rights of women to have abortions, or the rights of fetuses not to be aborted. In other words, abortion is subject to democracy. Now, the people of America have to sort all this out at the ballot box, either through direct referendums, or through our own elected representatives to the legislatures. Abortion isn't being restricted except where a majority of the people support restricting it. And unborn children will not be protected except where a majority of the people support protecting them. And all that means that the real battle over abortion is just beginning. Where it will end, no one knows. But those of us on the pro-life side of the struggle, especially young people, will likely spend the decades ahead not in courtrooms, but in the court of public opinion. And thus, it's time to take a deep breath and prepare ourselves to win hearts and minds within the marketplace of ideas and within the complex culture of the United States. Now, a few days after the Dobbs decision was released, I was invited to speak at a pro-life conference. The other keynote speakers were politicians, attorneys, activists, and some pastors. The event and the attendees were predominantly Protestants. But I really appreciated the organizers who asked me to share a Catholic perspective on what comes after Dobbs. So, I spoke on the distinction that Pope John Paul II rather eloquently made between the culture of life and the culture of death. And I thought that I would share what I said that day here with you on the podcast. Good evening. Like all of you, I'm excited about the good news from the Supreme Court. And I'm also excited to be here and grateful that you would invite me, a Catholic, to share some perspective on this momentous occasion. In the first chapter of his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul argued that What may be known about God is plain to mankind because God has made it plain to them. But when they ignored it, or we might say when we ignore it today, our thinking became futile and our foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and our minds depraved so that we do what ought not to be done. We have become filled with every kind of wickedness, Evil, greed, and depravity. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We are gossips, slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, inventing ways of doing evil without understanding, without fidelity, without love, or without mercy. Now, that was a rather apt description of the world that Paul lived in 2,000 years ago. But it fits again today, doesn't it? And yet, it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus said in the 10th chapter of John's gospel that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The issue of abortion has been framed by the left as one of choice, and that is accurate. It is an issue of choice, but not the choice that they suppose. It's not up to each of us to choose whether life is valuable, but we do get to choose whether to value life. Let me say that again. We cannot choose whether life is valuable because it is but we must choose to value it. And that choice is an ancient one. The most definitive presentation of it in the Bible comes in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. The children of Israel lacked the courage to do the right thing. And so they were sent to wander in the desert for 40 years. They would not get to see the promised land, but their children would. And so Moses stands before the next generation that would have been born and raised in the wilderness. And he lays a choice before them. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. And then Moses tells them that this is not an impossible choice. He says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. Moses presented that choice nearly 3,500 years ago, but it's still the choice that we face today. I've been asked to speak tonight on the choice between two cultures, a culture of life or a culture of death. Much has been said about this concept of the culture of life versus the culture of death over recent decades. In fact, the Republican Party even made mention of it in their 2004 platform. Now, although he didn't invent the phrase, it was popularized globally by Pope John Paul II in his 1995 encyclical Evangelium Vitae, which in Latin translates as gospel of life or the good news of life. The Pope started by describing, quote, the incomparable worth of the human person. He said, man is called to a fullness of life which far exceeds the dimensions of his earthly existence because it consists in sharing the very life of God. So, John Paul II said, The value of a human life is not defined by or limited to its earthly existence. You know, C.S. Lewis made the same point in his classic essay, The Weight of Glory. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, all of these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals with whom we joke, whom we work, whom we marry and snub and exploit. You see, we have immortal souls, and that means that we measure our worth in the scale of eternity. Here's what that means in practice. A person's worth is not determined by their functionality or their usefulness or even their quality of life. The senior citizen with a worn-out body and a faulty memory is not intrinsically worth less than the young, strong, and beautiful athlete or entertainer. The child born with disabilities is not worth less than the healthy child. And the worth of the child in the womb is not determined by the subjective quality of life that it or its mother might temporarily enjoy. Pope John Paul II not only wrote and spoke about this, he gave us an object lesson in it. As he grew older and his Parkinson's disease became more profound, there were calls for the Pope to step aside and let a younger, more vigorous and perhaps telegenic leaders, step into his place. But John Paul II did not abdicate or retire because he showed us that older people, even with tremors and a bent back and a shuffling walk, are still valuable. Pope John Paul II taught us that human life is not to be unjustly taken, that our moral actions are fruits of or downstream from our culture. And so, he said that in order to honor life, we must build a culture of life, not a culture of death. What does that mean in practice? Well, let's start by defining the word culture. One dictionary says that a culture is the normative or default beliefs, values, social customs, and material traits of a community. Another dictionary that I looked at said that a culture is the way of life of a group of people, the behaviors, beliefs, values, and symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them and that are passed along from one generation to the next. So the question that we face today is this, what is the default setting for the American way of life at the beginning of the 21st century? Do our beliefs and behaviors and social customs point to and lead to life or to death? What path are we on? One November, my wife and I bought a new piece of property. So when we first saw it, the leaves were down and snow had fallen and we weren't sure exactly what kinds of trees and plants that we had on the land. And therefore, we didn't know exactly which ones we wanted to keep or or cut out and replace later. But when spring and summer came, we could look at the new leaves and the blossoms and the fruits and see what we were dealing with. And this is a profoundly biblical principle because Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruits. So, Instead of arguing about the specific moral theology surrounding abortion or euthanasia or whatnot based on the Ten Commandments or the categories of St. Thomas Aquinas, let's reflect on the fruit that our culture is bearing and ask whether they spring from a culture of life or from a culture of death. I submit to you that American culture is disintegrating, decaying, desperate and depressed. First, it is disintegrating. We all know what that means to break apart into pieces. But reflect on the word for a moment. To disintegrate is to become less integrated, to cease to be integrated. And the quality of being integrated is called integrity. When something has integrity, when it is integrated, when it is integral, the parts are connected. They fit together. They support each other. But today, our culture is losing its structural integrity, its moral integrity, its social integrity. Our institutions no longer work together. Our families no longer stick together. Our communities no longer share common interests for the common good. The whole is becoming less than the sum of its parts. This is what happens when living things die. Their components break apart. They can no longer support the compound living being. But living things are integrated. Living cultures have structural and moral and social integrity. The disintegration of American society is a strong indicator that our way of life no longer leads to life. And American culture is decaying. It's possible that when something disintegrates, it could give birth to something new. So, for example, the apple falls from the tree, it plops into some wet soil, and from its seed, a new tree grows. But if the apple falls onto hard ground, it just rots in the sun. And the parts that are falling out and falling apart in American society don't seem to be falling onto fertile ground. They seem to be decaying. Consider this. Many states might very well pass legislation banning surgical abortions after the Dobbs decision last week. But most abortions are now performed with pills. And if our 40-year war on drugs could not keep people from getting marijuana and cocaine, Oxycontin and fentanyl, I'm not sure why we think that we're going to keep people in state A from crossing the line into state B to get abortion pills. Ultimately, the problem is not that abortion is too available. It's that there's too much demand for abortion. And that's a sign of cultural decay. Too many of us no longer value what John Paul II called the incomparable worth of the human person. We are in an advanced state of cultural, moral decay. Yes, we must use legislation and every means possible to protect life. But turn on the news and look at the ugliness, the decadence, the fury of those who hate life. That is our real problem. Third, American cultural disintegration and decay is making us desperate. American culture has lost hope. We fantasize about endless doomsday scenarios, nuclear war, holes in the ozone layer, asteroid strikes, pandemics, climate change, alien invasion, currency meltdowns, the zombie apocalypse, our eyes are no longer focused on what is true and good and beautiful. We've lost our resilience, our confidence, our vision for tomorrow. We're afraid of death. And so we desperately cling to temporary pleasures, sensual and sexual appetites, consumerism. Consider Pride Week or Pride Month or now just the endless annual cycle of celebrating our sex lives, even our icky sex lives, as the center of our identity. It's as if we have nothing else to live for but how we prefer to get our freak on. Half of America has spent the last several years traumatizing our kids with climate doom and pandemic doom and, and fearing Trump like the boogeyman under the bed. And so we offer them legal weed and hookup apps and TikTok videos And then we wonder why they're neurotic and suicidal. This is not a hopeful culture. And where there is no hope, there is no investment in life for the next generation, much less for eternity. And so finally, we are a depressed culture. We're a sad people today, looking for things to be sad about. And depression is a downward spiral leading to more disintegration, more decay, more desperation. Has America chosen a culture of death? Regardless of what legislation that we can get through our state capitals, and we must, the culture war is what matters. And so we must not listen to those who say, avoid culture war issues. Because I ask, what is more important? All of our problems are downstream from that, from worldview and culture. And so we must start building a genuine culture of life. You need to start in your home, with your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your school. If your school won't let you, then find a new school or start one. If your workplace won't let you, then change careers. In fact, we're going to have to build subcultures of life what does that look like? Well, it begins by valuing the human person. It means living with integrity. It means cutting out what is rotten in our lives. It means having a vision for the future that is hopeful and true and good and beautiful and cultivating habits of the heart that make us confident and courageous. And it means being joyful. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul describes how these two cultures can be known by the fruit that they produce. He said that the acts of the flesh, which are the actions of a culture that doesn't value the eternal worth of the human person, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft... Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's quite a catalog that Paul lays out, and he saw them all in the Greco-Roman world of his day. And that's where huge swaths of our culture are today. But then Paul says that the fruit of a culture that is full of the spirit of life is love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can we, will we, cultivate subcultures that produce that kind of life? If so, we might plant the seeds of a new American renaissance, even if it takes another generation or two to come to fruition. And that is, I think, the great task not only of our generation, but of the next. Thank you. So, that's what I shared just a few days after Dobbs was released. Again, I was grateful that the predominantly Protestant conference asked me to share a Catholic perspective. You know, afterwards, some of the other keynote speakers and some of them who actually are former colleagues and friends of mine, and many of the attendees told me that despite our doctrinal differences as Catholics or Protestants on some points, that we were united in the things that I shared. And so it felt good to find that common ground, and we need to continue to work together as Christians to build a culture of life. Incidentally, part of my mission at the Lakeshore Academy in considering Catholicism is to represent and present Catholic faith, history, and worldview, wherever and whenever I can. And so, if you'd like me to come and speak to your group, then email me at greg at com, or reach out to me through the website. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts, and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think, greg at consideringcatholicism.com.